Brain for Business, Brain for Life podcast with me, Lawrence Snell, where we take the lessons from evidence-based academic research, most particularly involving the brain and behavioral sciences, and translate them in a way that is accessible for leaders and organizations. I'm delighted to welcome to this episode Professor Colette Henry. Colette is Head of Department of Business Studies at Dundalk Institute of Technology. Colette, you are very welcome. Thank you. So maybe you might start by telling us a little bit about yourself, your background and, and your areas of, uh, of interest. Sure. Um, so currently I work at Dundalk Institute of Technology. I'm Head of Department of Business Studies, um, where we provide programs for undergraduate and postgraduate students in the broad area of business and management. Uh, part of my role also involves heading up a small research group that looks at issues pertaining to entrepreneurship and marketing. And I work with a team of, of academics in Dundalk and we look at various areas under those headings and produce uh, reports and publications. Um, in addition to that, I'm an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship at the uh, Arctic University of Norway and I go back and forth there a couple of times a year. So if we take entrepreneurship, what, why, is, why is entrepreneurship so important, do you think? Well, I think entrepreneurship has always been important in some shape or form, and, and people have different views and different definitions on, on what it actually means. But I think it's really important because it allows an economy to, to grow. It sort of is a measure of its vibrancy. Um, every economy around the world will need people to set up businesses and contribute to the economy in that way by providing employment, not just for themselves, but potentially for others. And that's really what the um, what economic growth relies on. So it is important to every economy around the world. It's grown in popularity, I think, in the last few decades. We've seen that through, um, well, in, in the very basic sense, through the development of new programs to do with entrepreneurship. Almost every university and educational institution in the world is teaching something to do with entrepreneurship. And of course, there are lots of positions uh, to do with entrepreneurship lectures, entrepreneurship professors. We see entrepreneurship centers. So it, it really has grown tremendously over the last few decades. And, and I think that's because there's a recognition it's um, because it's important to everyone. And are there particular are there particular challenges? Do, do the challenges of entrepreneurship vary between countries, between socioeconomic groups within countries? How, how does that work? Yeah, so around the world, um, as I said, entrepreneurship is seen as important, but in some areas of the world, it is, if you like, easier to engage in entrepreneurial activity than in others. So, for example, um, some of the policies to do with encouraging and supporting entrepreneurship uh, would, would be better than in other parts of the world. Um, we always consider the, the US to be the lead in entrepreneurship because they have more and bigger businesses. Um, there's a sense in the US that uh, anyone can be an entrepreneur, so the culture is different. So it varies from country to country. Some countries would be more supportive, um, sometimes in terms of legislation. Some countries make it easier to start up a business, and in other countries, it's much more difficult. 
and, and you mentioned there that say say at least in terms of the United States, is perception rightly or wrongly, and then and perhaps I'm, I'm I'm sure it varies, but d- does that refer back to say a, a more of a, a social concept and a social perception of not just of the desirability of entrepreneurship, but also who can be and who is entitled to be and call themselves an entrepreneur? Yes, I think a lot of it's got to do with confidence, not just of the individual, but of the actual um, country in which you live. And there's always been a sense in the US that, you know, you should give something a go, that you can gain experience from doing something, even if you fail and fail several times. And there's this view there that if someone starts a business and fails, that is very, very valuable experience. And then you can learn from that and go on and start again. So they're much more accommodating of failure and of risk. And I think in other parts of the world, um, there's a sense that if you try to set up a business and fail, then you're a failure. And sometimes the, the policy regulations support that view. Um, you know, it, regulations to do with bankruptcy, for example, you may not be able to start another business depending on where which country you live in. So yes, I think it is about perception. And that's where perhaps the US are seem to be a little bit ahead because they've got this very, very positive view of entrepreneurship, whether you failed or whether you succeeded. And, and, and one one topic that uh, I've heard mentioned quite a bit is th- this idea of say say f- female entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship from from underserved um, co- communities. Is that a particular issue or a particular thing that you've ever looked at? Yes. Yeah, so a lot of my research um, would be in the area of what most people would call women's entrepreneurship, but has become known over the years to be more politically correct, gender <coughs> and entrepreneurship. Um, but very often what we're just talking about how women engage with entrepreneurship. And it is different around the world. And as a research topic, it's sort of gained momentum because there is this sense that women are less reluctant or sorry, more reluctant to engage in entrepreneurship than their male counterparts. There are fewer women entrepreneurs around the world than men. And this is something that keeps uh, being put forward in research as to why is this the case? What can we do about this? So that in itself has become a hot topic in entrepreneurship. So are you suggesting there that the, the, the lack of role models is in itself a, a barrier for, for women to pursue entrepreneurship as a, as a career or as, a, as a, an option? Well, I think role models are, are very important in, in every sphere. So whether it's male or female entrepreneurship, you do need to have some role model to look at and learn from. And, and that's encouraging. Um, you're right. In the case of female entrepreneurship, there would be fewer women who are already successful entrepreneurs so hence fewer role models but there is a sense the research will tell us that it is seen to be more difficult for women to become entrepreneurs than it is for men there are more challenges for women entrepreneurs in some cases the challenges for male and female entrepreneurs are exactly the same things like coming up with the right idea, marketing the product or service, getting the the necessary investment. But for women, it's more difficult. And and there are lots of reasons for that. There is the uh, sense, for example, that traditionally women have always had 
um, a disproportionate share of family responsibilities and caring responsibilities and those responsibilities come first so having to put all their time into the family detracts from them from being able to engage in entrepreneurship um, there are also social and, and contextual issues around the world in some societies uh, entrepreneurship would not be an appropriate role for a woman uh, some of the Middle Eastern countries for example um, women are only allowed to uh, engage in any type of business uh, activity if they're accompanied by a male relative so there are restrictions depending on I suppose the country and the context that you live in I remember um, hearing once about a reading once I should say about the Grameen Bank in, in Bangladesh and, and other microfinancing initiatives in the developing world and the the article I was reading made the point that a lot of those initiatives actually focus on financing the, the, the females in the population. Sense was, I guess, that they were able to, to use the money more effectively than their male counterparts, their husbands, their, their partners, and, and so on. Have I remembered that correctly? Is that a, is that a phenomenon you, you've ever heard of? Well, there are lots of microfinancing programs um, around, certainly in the underdeveloped countries, to try and help women get better access to financial capital to start their business. And I think, yes, you're right, coupled with that, there is this notion that women um, in those contexts can manage their money better and that the money will actually go to the family. So, yeah, I, th I think you're right in that regard. It just depends on, on the particular geographical context. Yeah. So if we, we perhaps bring it back to, to, to Ireland, where, where, where we, we, we both are, where we both work, what, what sort of particular challenges would you see in, in this context for, for, for female entrepreneurs? Well, I think in this part of the world, um, there is a sense that entrepreneurship is about big business, uh, starting a business that you can actually grow. And for women entrepreneurs, very often, this notion of growth can be a bit scary. Now, there is a sense that the research will tell us that when women do start businesses, they start them in low growth areas, mostly service sectors, very often they'll start the type of business that just won't attract state funding because state funding is very focused on high potential startups, growth, exporting. And a lot of the businesses women start uh, do not have those objectives in mind. Now, some research would say, well, women are um, more risk averse. They want to stay small. They don't want to grow. But very often it's because women start businesses with a different motivation in their head than their male counterparts. So they're thinking of self-sufficiency, they're thinking of the family, they're thinking of generating enough revenues um, to maybe have the, the freedom and flexibility to work from home and spend time with their family, where very often men are starting businesses for a profit motive right from the word go. And that's a big challenge. So if you're a woman entrepreneur, you're starting a business, and it's not in those categories that attracts yet funding, you're not taking this seriously and you're not going to get the supports that are available to the other types of business. And for what I'm hearing, I guess, is, is something, and then correct me if I'm wrong, if you, if you look at shows like um, 
like Dragon's Den on the BBC or on say RTE in, in the Republic of Ireland. It's often derisively uh, called a uh, a lifestyle business. Perhaps is 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 that the sort of thing you're you're getting at? There, something which will have that have have an income, but isn't going to ever become the next Microsoft. Absolutely, and I think that's um, you you've really touched on on an important point there because uh, businesses that are not seen to be growing or exporting, or they're not going to employ more than one or two people. Are very often categorized as lifestyle or hobby businesses and very often they're just put to one side and they're not taken very seriously but if you multiply those out um, collectively they can be co- they can constitute quite a significant proportion of what we might call entrepreneurship in any economy so I think that is a problem. They're just not taken seriously. Playing playing stereotypes for for a moment, but if we take some of those organisations that might stereotypically fit within, or businesses that might fit within those categories, things like a a, a small cafe or um, a, you know a, a small company providing local services, maybe cleaning or dog walking or grooming or um, you know a small shop, these things that are never going to export they can nonetheless be very successful and they can nonetheless scale but it will be in a different way and in a different shape to those high potential perhaps very sexy tech startups that uh, that, that might be out there oh you're absolutely right um, and of course you forgot to mention in, in your list there the hairdresser <laughs> there are so <laughs> many hairdressers many of them um, those businesses led by women very successful they employ um, themselves and perhaps half a dozen other people again mostly women and um, they can be very flexible in the in the working hours that they offer and they are quite sustainable um, but they're not they don't really uh, attract any state support um, so it, it is very much a matter of looking at these businesses and seeing what the motivation is behind them and what they do for the individual um, you know and, and as it stands they're not taken as seriously as as you say the large businesses that could become Microsoft and so if we, we, we think then uh, about the, the the reasons they're they're not taken so seriously also you talk about you know the export potential those sort of very very tangible things but but are there also sort of you know Im- implicit biases in terms of sexism perhaps the, the the systems are set up to support a certain thing which happens to be be more in the direction of male entrepreneurship again perhaps playing stereotypes but is, is that an issue there I, I think it is and you see this if you start to look at um, some of the entrepreneurship policies that are around and um, I'm currently doing some work with a, a group of academics around the world as part of our global women's entrepreneurship policy network and we have about 30 countries involved and the academics are looking at the policies in place in their countries to support entrepreneurship but they're specifically looking to see if there are policies that support women's entrepreneurship and that means looking at existing entrepreneurship policies with a gendered lens and for example in Ireland at the minute there isn't a specific policy for women's entrepreneurship though that may be coming quite soon but there is a policy on entrepreneurship and if you just look at that general policy it is set up very much for the types of businesses 
that men would typically start. So it's geared toward high-tech, manufacturing, growth, export-oriented. All the things we know from the research that women almost shy away from, that those are not appealing to them for all sorts of other reasons. So you could say that the policy is gender biased. At the same time, though, don't don't other organisations, I'm thinking here specifically of, of people like Enterprise Island, don't they have specific supports? So even if there may not be a central government policy, uh, don't, don't aren't there specific supports out there for female entrepreneurs that, that could be taken advantage of? Yes, I mean, in recent years, Enterprise Ireland have actually been very good because they have um, developed policies, well, not, not policies, but, but initiatives, let's say, for women entrepreneurs. Those initiatives aren't actually reflected in the overarching policy. And as researchers, we've sort of pointed out that that could be dangerous because if something is mentioned in an overarching high-level policy, it gets much more uh, traction, it becomes much more important, it's more sustainable. Um, initiatives that happen on the ground very often are dependent on funding or dependent on the perspective of the particular person in charge. So we have sort of been asking as academics um, if Enterprise Ireland would look at the initiatives they've got for women entrepreneurs and try to link some of those in, embed them in the policy. And then that would help the sustainability of them. But you are right, there's some very good initiatives out there. Um, at the minute, they have a competitive start fund for female entrepreneurs, which addresses one of the key challenges for women's entrepreneurship, which is access to financial capital. Now, now it, it is a very, very good fund. Um, but even within that, there are one or two restrictions that may be off-putting to women. There is a requirement um, to already have, have um, secured a, a small bit of funding before you can access the larger bit of funding. So for some women, that might be difficult. So you've got these again, these, these sort of structural uh, structural challenges there, and, and and you already sort of hinted at some of the more um, typical or socially expected at times uh, roles that that, that 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 women play. And I remember hearing as well once about that that challenge of something as very simple as as, as, as childcare uh, and and expectations around that, and and the 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 challenge that that can that can pose, particularly for female entrepreneurs and women in, in, in entrepreneurships. But if, if we perhaps change the lens, because we, we've spent a bit of time talking about some of the challenges facing facing women who, who want to move into entrepreneurship, if we look perhaps or think perhaps about some of the successful uh, women entrepreneurs, what, what could we learn from them? Are there any particularly really interesting lessons that you could highlight? Um, yeah, I think for the successful women entrepreneurs, um, you know, there are some who, who would be categorized, if you like, as anomalies because um, they, you know, despite challenges, they've managed to move forward. Um, I think some women who perhaps don't have children um, wouldn't have the childcare barrier. Um, some women who start businesses coming out of the, the scientific field um, would be developing quite a niche. So sometimes that can be an advantage. Um, I think what we do learn is that everyone, whether male or female who wants to be an entrepreneur, you know, you, you have to have a lot of resilience. 
um, there's always going to be challenges. Um, if I can give you one example with regard to accessing finance, we hear a lot from the US in terms of the venture capital market and how men typically are able to secure more venture capital than women. And I think the lesson there is to keep coming back for more and um, to perhaps ask for a much more realistic figure for the business that you're putting forward. And one of the solutions that um, US academics have come forward with is to make sure that the venture capital decision making team is much more gender balanced. So th there's all sorts of lessons that can be learned, but I think entrepreneurship is a very individual thing. What works for one person may not work for another, and everyone has their own set of challenges to deal with. And I, I guess that that would also apply in in terms of that that idea of failure that you mentioned uh, earlier. So one person's failure could could equally be another person's speed bump uh, on the road to success. Whereas that same failure might be devastating for for another, depending on the, on their personal context and and, and self perception and, and and all of those sorts of issues. Well, well, that's it. And I think, you know, I mentioned resilience. That, that is a big thing in, in any endeavor in life. But I think with entrepreneurship, um, I mean, the experts will tell you that, you know, it's not a matter of just coming up with one fabulous big idea that's going to change the world. Um, you may think you have a great idea. You have to market test it, go through your feasibility and all the normal things. It may not work. It may be the next idea. You may have to come up with several ideas before you get one that actually works. But I think for, for me, entrepreneurship is all about um, finding out what bits are not appealing and then trying to focus in on the bits that do appeal to you. People go into entrepreneurship for all sorts of reasons. Um, and I think for me, women tend to have a completely different view, a completely different motivation. It's all about um, freedom, um, self-sustainability, generating revenues that perhaps allow you more time with your family. Um, and it's not always about growth and high level profits. And, and I think that that resilience is, is key. I've, there's a particular quote from uh, from James Dyson, you, you may have heard that always, always, uh, I guess, strikes a chord with me. And he says that I built 5,127 prototypes before I got it right. And he was talking, of course, of the uh, the cyclonic uh, cyclonic vacuum cleaner. And I think that that resilience and that recognition, regardless of who you are or what your background you come from or gender or whatever, it's it's that ability to recognize actually it's not a single shot. You have to keep on going and, and, and working through all these various challenges. Well, well, that's it exactly. And, you know, everyone is, is familiar with the story of J.K. Rowling and, and the, the ridiculous number of publishers she had to approach before somebody took her seriously. And it only just she just needed one to do that. She didn't need 10, just one to take her seriously. Um, so it is all about resilience. Um, I think, again, in terms of entrepreneurship, I think we need to reconceptualize what we mean by that. I think the term itself has become over the years to be known as something that is big and bold and uh, it's going to grow and be high level in terms of its profits and employability. Um, and I think that can put people off. And I think we need to get back to this notion of what does it mean for each individual person? And, and so if you were to take that then, are they, are they the key messages that you would 
take forward to to, to policymakers, whether governments or or, or semi state bodies or otherwise. I think we we need to go back to education, and we need to look at the message that messages that we're sending to young students as to what is entrepreneurship. Now, there's been a lot of talk in recent years about you know creating an entrepreneurial mindset and teaching people to be entrepreneurial and creative, but sadly the measure of that still tends to be the number of new businesses that were set up, the size of them, the number they employ, the turnover, etc. And we're not matching these new concepts to do with entrepreneurship with new measures. So I suppose my message would be twofold. In education, we need to really think again about what we're telling young people entrepreneurship is all about. And then I think from the policy side, we need to look at the messages we're sending in the policies we create. That if we set up policies that are only really geared toward the high growth, high export, then we are going to cut out quite a number of aspiring entrepreneurs who won't be in a position to start businesses in those categories. So would I take it then that um, you know some of the some of the school-based uh, entrepreneurship competitions you, you would be in favour of those if they're giving people a, a more grounded sense of, of of what starting your own enterprise your own business might be like. Um, yes, I, I think we need some sort of entrepreneurship education even at the primary level, but I think we need to change the narrative on what an entrepreneur and entrepreneurship actually is. And we're doing it to some extent by trying to teach people just to be creative and entrepreneurial in everything they do, but it's not translating into the objectives and then the policies and the things that are actually supported and rewarded. Um, so I, I think those are the things we, we need to focus on, just the, the different view of entrepreneurship and what it is that's appealing and what it is that is not appealing. I mean, at the minute, a lot of women are put off uh, by entrepreneurship because it means uh, too much risk. It means too much time away from family. It's about high growth and high profits, things that are not as appealing. And I think if we focus on the appeal of entrepreneurship, I think we'll end up eventually with more entrepreneurs. And, and if, if you were to... to, to, to... I guess take some some key messages or some key points to to, to 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 women out there who are thinking about stepping into the world of entrepreneurialism and entrepreneurship, or perhaps have taken that step and are not sure if they've done the right thing. What what would be your your I guess key messages? I think um, for for any individual, I think my message would be take a step back and think what it is about entrepreneurship, if indeed anything. That appeals to you because at the end of the day whilst we you know talk about needing more entrepreneurs and then being very important to the economy not everyone needs to be or wants to be an entrepreneur but if there's something appealing in there think about your motivation what why would this be something that you'd like to do and then just focus on that Okay, excellent. Well, Colette, thank you very much for your time today. It's great talking to you. Really interesting uh, outline of, of some of the challenges and opportunities of, uh, of entrepreneurship. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks very much, Larry. La, 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 la.